Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on today's show, we will talk about the 40th anniversary of UCS' very first football game. Ron Johnson, a defensive back on that very first team, standing by in the virtual green room, and he will join me to talk about the very beginnings of Knights football. And he'll join us in just a few moments. Meanwhile, let's look at the weekend. NFL officiating getting worse. The Bradley Chubb sack in the Denver-Chicago game that was ruled roughing the passer when he arrives a very split second after the ball is released from Trubisky's hand, takes him down. I mean, I don't know how he doesn't fall on him, and it, and it wasn't like he you know, belly flopped on the guy, but uh, terrible call there. Then you have the non-fumble in the Saints-Rams game where the Saints had knocked the ball out of Goff's hand, but the officials decided to blow the whistle and call it an incomplete pass. It went to review. It was a fumble, but the Saints only could get the ball where they possessed it from and not get credit for the touchdown. So, The Saints are screwed again. (laughs) Oh, buzzard's luck there. And it extended even further with Drew Brees getting injured with the thumb. Ligament damage. And he's going to miss a few weeks because of that. So uh, that's a tough blow for the Saints. They are paying Teddy Bridgewater a lot of money. They need a little bit better than what he gave them against the Rams. Although they have a pretty stout defense. But there's a reason why they they wanted Teddy Bridgewater to be the backup and have an experienced guy who could uh, make some plays. And uh, he's going to have to uh, hold the fort for a few weeks. Another quarterback suffering an injury, Ben Roethlisberger, is done for the season, having surgery on his elbow. And uh, Mason Rudolph did a nice job coming in. So it's his, uh, his team for the rest of the season. The guy being groomed to be the next quarterback of the Steelers. Uh, Roethlisberger was, uh, has not played well in the first couple of games. Age might be catching up to him. And um, the Steelers now have basically lost their big three. From Bell and Brown and now Roethlisberger. And uh, they did uh, at least upgrade the defense a little bit with the uh, trade with the Dolphins for Mika Fitzpatrick. But uh, it's going to be a tough sledding in the Steel City for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we're coming today that Eli Manning has been benched. So it's going to be Daniel Jones, the draft pick from Duke, who played well in the preseason, but you have to temper it that it was the preseason. After no 0-2 starts, the move has been made. And Eli Manning, and look, I think, I, I have thought often that he's been overrated because of the Manning name, and he's got Super Bowl victories, but I think a lot of luck involved with those. You know, David Tyree pinning the ball in his helmet and whatnot. Uh, but I will say this. Eli Manning has always been a class professional. You know, he's never, you know, he doesn't run his mouth. He doesn't talk bad about his team. He's always, you know, handled criticism, turns the other cheek, you say everything about that is, you know, he is definitely a tried and true professional. So, um, 
you, you know, you, you, you hate to see that, but, you know, I think he probably also learned very well because remember, you know, Kurt Warner was uh, brought to the Giants to kind of hold the fort down while Eli Manning was supposed to uh, learn the ropes from him. And, uh, you know, he took over much sooner than expected. Uh, but I would be willing to bet, you know, he's, you know, got, you know, great learnings from the Manning family with his brother and his father, having both been professional and class quarterbacks and uh, and uh, also getting to kind of learn from Kurt Warner, who's also a very class act, is also uh, uh, pretty cool there. So uh, we'll see if Eli gets back in at some point, but uh, it's now the Daniel Jones Show in New York. And ESPN continues their retro moves. We got the Oberman Patrick Sports Center recently. And now we have the return of NFL Prime Time. That's right. Boomer Chris Berman is back with Tommy Jackson. Giving you the highlight show from yesteryear. And think about that for a minute. ESPN Plus, which is where... NFL primetime will reside. And weird that they started a week two and not week one, but I digress. But here you are going to the streaming service. It's for all the young kids out there. I know adults do it too, but... But for this new blossoming technology, we bring you a highlight show from yesteryear (laughs) with two guys that have retired from the network. But nonetheless, I still like it because whatever you think about Chris Berman and, you know, I have often said and, you know, I'm sorry if you're hearing it for the umpteenth time, but he became a cartoon character of himself. But NFL primetime was one of his very best besides the very early days of SportsCenter and him and TJ Always did a fantastic job. And it was a great highlight show. So isn't that interesting? ESPN got rid of all their highlight shows and now they're all coming back within the new technology. So go figure. I'm not an ESPN Plus subscriber yet. But uh, I may have to get on the bandwagon now. Check out NFL Prime Time. September 22nd is the anniversary of UCS' first ever football game. And joining us now to talk about the origins of Knights football, defensive back from the very first team, Ron Johnson joins us now. Ron, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Glad to have you on board, and um, tell me, Ron, what was your path to landing on UCS' very first football team? Wow, uh, very short question, and the answer is too long, so here, I'll speed it up. <laughs> uh, I was from Centerville, Ohio. Uh, I played at the same high school as Kirk Street up there in Centerville. We played for the same coach. He's 10 years my junior, but anyway, I know Kirk. But I was in Centerville, Ohio. I went to... Um, uh, a Division three school, Otterbein, for a year up in Columbus, Ohio, and played and lettered, and I hated every single second of it. A great school, 
but I wanted to just play at a bigger school and thought that I could. And so I had to sit out a year. So I went down to South Florida and rolled at Miami and was going to walk on there. And so I was working in South Florida. A friend of a friend that was on the wrestling team said that they were starting the program. So I drove up here, talked to the athletic director, and he basically said, "Where's you know? We don't have scholarships. We, if you want to come, we'd love to have you." Uh, and we struck a little friendship through that hour-long talk. And he actually, his name was Jack O'Leary, no yep. relation to George, but took me in his car downtown to the Tangerine Bowl. We climbed the fence and went in there and said, this is where we're going to play our games. And it was like a godsend to me. I mean, the field was crappy and dirty and it wasn't lined. It was all brown. And we walked out there um, and I'm like, it it just seemed like a a coliseum to me. And I'm like, I'm I'm coming here. And in that minute, after an hour meeting with him, the 30-minute drive and walking out on that old crappy field at the time, I'm like, I'm going to play here. And so made my decision right then and made, made the necessary plans to get here and, and, the, and the, the first game. And the rest, they say, is history, of course. So then uh, they they start to assemble the team, and, and basically this is a team that is you know crafted from all sorts of walks of life. Uh, talk about a little bit of the character of the football team and, and, and some of the guys that you played with. You know, it's kind of interesting, and depending on who you talk to and um, – uh, I I will say I was probably more observant than most people. Uh, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. But I, I observed a lot of stuff, maybe because I wasn't this giant superstar and I wasn't in my own world. I noticed other players and how what coaches did and all that sort of stuff. But we had a lot more talent than people say. Some people will try to romanticize it like it was just a bunch of rent-a-drunks and renegades and prison guys and we just threw this thing together. While I'm sure some of them were, um, the starting 22 were actually pretty good football players, and we had a number of transfers from other colleges, Tennessee, Martin, uh, uh, Southern Miss, um, UT, um, Miami, Florida State. Um, now, while they were not stars, they were, you know, kind of secondhand kind of guys and and you know we started a lot of freshmen and so forth some guys that ended up being phenomenal players billy giovanetti and things like that doug gatewood um so it was a, a real combination and there were guys we had 33 defensive backs which is what i was mm-hmm. um and they didn't cut anybody so we had guys that should not have been on a college team and we had guys that could have been playing at florida um and everything in between so it was it was a mixed bag um you know, we, we had, I think we had a lot of skilled players. We had guys, uh, uh, receivers, defensive backs, running backs, and things that were really, really good. What we didn't have is IND1 kind of offensive lineman kind of thing because, uh, you know, we were a small school at the time relative to football and everything. So it was, it was a group of characters, a lot of transfers, especially on defense. We were probably a little bit older. Um, the, the starting, um, all of the, um, Secondary, Tim Kiggins was from Southern Miss, a third-year guy. Tim Ayers, one of the better athletes of free safety, was a second-year. I was a second-year guy. Then Mike Brown, who played one game and blew his knee out, was a true freshman and probably the best football player on the team. But even the secondary, was we were almost all 20 years old. So um, Billy was 17 years old. Bill Chivinetti, Doug Gatewood was 18. Um, so it wasn't quite as renegade as some people will fantasize it, but overall, we had quite an eclectic, uh, definitely an eclectic group of players 
from 149-pound guys to 350-pound guys and, um, and everything in between. So Don Jonas puts this team together, and you play your first game at St. Leo. What stands out to you about that first game? You know, great question. Um, the, the fact that I knew a little bit about them, and um, I never really considered that our first game. It was more like a scrimmage to me. I realized that it was, and... You know, we didn't play in a cow pasture. Everything was a converted cow pasture one time or another. It was a soccer field that 20 years before that was a cow pasture. But it was a rainy field, and it was 21 nothing. but we could have scored 50 to nothing. And the next year we did. It was 55 nothing. The next year we played it and couldn't even play them anymore. So that first game, it was just neat. Um, and the biggest thing to me was that it was a culmination of a lot of stuff because a lot of stuff happened, me being in high school in Florida and then moving to high school in Ohio, then going to a, a small school in Ohio, then sitting out a year down in South Florida and then getting up here. So, I mean, just putting on that uniform this rainy, crappy day, I wasn't concerned about the competition because uh, they were horrible. Um, but it was a culmination that this season was going to be special, and to me, it really, really was. Uh, that first game didn't mean nearly as much, and I knew what the second game, what what the thing was, and the but. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But yeah. um, it was a culmination of a lot of journeys getting to that point, and I knew a bunch of guys' stories. Mine, like I said, was kind of unique, and but but everybody had their own. Um, at to there and they were all different and most many of them at least the starters for the most part it was a unique journey it wasn't just straight out of high school right there and it, it started happening um you know there was a journey and so it was a saving grace for a lot of guys uh, uh not, i'm not saying last chance you kind of thing but it was it was um the uh, a wonderful wonderful stopgap for a lot of these guys lives uh, including mine i knew i was going to play somewhere i'm just cannot be happier that it actually was UCS. So the very next week you guys come home to 15,000 at the Citrus Bowl. That had to be a thrill. It was. And and it, it, it literally was one of the cooler athletic moments of my life running out for the game the crowd. When I say 15,000, I've been to 103,000 C State. I've been everywhere. It did not sound like 15,000. It sounded like 50,000. Um, they used to serve alcohol back then uh, to <laughs> at the stadium, um, and this was a real deal. And Lehman Hall, which was a West Point All-American, uh, had just finished his tenure there at four years of West Point. Clenny Brundage also was an All-American. They were both Apopka graduates, but they were at Fort Benning. These guys were men. These guys were military guys. Um, again, a handful of them, more than a handful of them, played at West Point. Uh, they were real deals. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Lehman Hall was a draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys that year. The big boy coming home. Um, so that was the game I I was so looking forward to playing at home in that stadium. And it looked incredible compared to the first time I had seen it like eight months, six or eight months before. It was beautifully green. And they had the t- big tangerine painted on the middle of the field back. It was a tangerine bowl. The colors were neat. I thought our uniforms looked so much like Notre Dame. It was cool. Um, and then we were playing what I thought was a really, really good team. And I, I, I still think they were, considering. Uh, not that they could play with UCF now. But back then, 
it was a formidable opponent, and it was it was so cool. And I'll jump ahead a little bit and tell you, I intercepted the first pass that Lehman Hall threw against us, which was and the first so, in school history. Uh, yeah, which was yeah, that was uh, yeah that was uh, cool. It was uh, it was kind of a bad pass, but I'll take it. I didn't care. I knew who he was throwing to. <laughs> he was throwing to Clinty Brundage, and uh, I stepped in front of it, and Doug made some good blocks, and uh, that was just. That felt like college football to me. All right, so we can just chalk it up to also good scouting on that uh, very first interception. So as you guys were playing in that first season, uh, did any thoughts enter your mind about uh, what the University of Central Florida would become on the sports landscape 40 years later? Absolutely. Um, and, um, I, I, again, I don't obviously wasn't a great player, but I, I – I did have foresight, and I honestly believed we would get to this point. Um, Disney had a lot to do with it. Orlando had a lot to do with it. I thought that stadium already being there had a lot to do with it. And at the time, University of Miami played in the Orange Bowl, so I thought there was a precedent set as far as that kind of thing. Um, I, I truly did. Um, Ten years too late, in my opinion, for a number of reasons, but um, I absolutely knew we were going to be playing the Alabamas of the world one day. I, I again in the future, but absolutely believed it. I uh, with with all my heart then, uh, and I've been involved in some form or fashion um, every single day for forty years on this thing. So you can't imagine how gratifying it is now. But absolutely did think we'd get on this stage. And what's even cooler is how exciting this stage and brand of football we're playing now is uh, on national TV and people across the country, as many people hate us, but a lot of people really, really like to watch our brand of football. So long answer to a short question. I absolutely knew we'd get to this point and um, we ain't done yet. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, we've uh, rolled off two straight undefeated seasons. We've uh, been on the periphery of talking about the college football playoff, but the cartel has kept us out. Um, so how do you see things playing out this year? Do you see the Knights rolling through again? And and uh, what 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 do you see for, for forthcoming? Well, um, I'm... I, well, this is public. Uh, I did think we would lose a game this year. Yeah, I... I thought just statistically, it's you know it's, it's tough for any team to go undefeated, and no team did two years ago, and a few did last year. So I thought statistically we had a chance of losing the game. But after these three games, I definitely think we're going undefeated this year. And what hurt us last year for this year was, you know, having a freshman quarterback play LSU and then us losing that game. If we win that game, coming in this season, we're ranked probably 9, 10, or 11, and if we run the table – I think the nation would have clamored for us to be in the college football playoff. And assuming there weren't five or six other undefeated teams, because there won't be, I absolutely think there was a pretty clear shot for us this year. There is a percentage. I still think there's about a 10% chance we can get in this year. Um, If we roll through this season, we're on the radar now. Sports writers across the country really do know us, because now we're third year in a row doing this thing. If we run the table... A lot of people, a lot of people are going to be mad, but a lot of people are going to say, "Get them in." And I think another one-loss team or something, we could jump. This could be the year 
The LSU game hurt us a bit, but this could be the year if we run the table that we can get in. Uh, I really think so. And how about this uh, past weekend, uh, steamrolling Stanford and the young, true freshman quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, what an outstanding performance. You know what is so neat? I, absolutely. Um, and as I've been saying all week to a lot of my former teammates and things, how cool it is that we're pretty heavily favored against Stanford. When we came to a point where we couldn't have been even on the field with them, and we basically steamroll them, as you said, and the score, again, as Bianchi said, I, it being 62-14 to 14 could have happened, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't have been that hard. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, that was really telling on a national stage, um, and as I think I mentioned before, Kirk Herbstreit finally came around and said that you folks need to listen because he was kind of a naysayer, and I know Kirk, and we played for the same high school coach. Um, uh, it was neat to have him kind of come around because he does carry a lot of weight on the national stage, and the fact that he said UCF is legit. Um, doesn't change everybody's mind, but it makes them pay more attention. Um, and if we do same type of thing to pit, which I'm concerned about actually, um, they can't help but take notice. They, they just really can't. Um, and then we crack that top ten. So this college football playoff, as much as I think it sucks, and I didn't like it in the first place because I hate everything – you know, every other college basically is out of the, the running as soon as the second game starts. But anyway, we do have a shot with this. And uh, Kirk Herbstreit, as much as he was a naysayer last year, has jumped on the bandwagon after last year's college game day and the Stanford game kind of put him over the edge. And I think that'll go a long way because nowadays with social media, thousands of writers and you know, sports folks will see that, and uh, it matters because if he turned the corner, um, they may turn a degree or two, which is what we need. Yeah, and and now he just has to slap some sense into David Pollock, and it'll all be good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny because I, I I don't know David, but I, I've met him twice, and he's just like the nicest guy. I get so irritated. I was chatting with him two days ago via Twitter, and we were going back and forth, and he was like, you know politely telling me to back off like dude i got my opinions i'm like i know dude but you're wrong with your opinion your opinion needs to be more he thought it was funny but um he doesn't carry as much weight i do know that his cloud isn't nearly there but no he is not sold and i don't get it maybe he's mad because we went up there and lost to athens uh which i was on the sidelines and uh lost to georgia by uh one point um, a handful of years ago and, and he didn't like that and then we beat him the last time we played Georgia. So maybe he's still got a problem with that. Yeah, maybe he's harboring, harboring a grudge, if you will. So the 40th anniversary uh, coming up on September 22nd, and the, the, the 19, a lot of members of the 1979 team will be recognized before the UConn game. Uh, what are you looking most forward to, to about that? You know, it, it, it's funny because um, I've always kept up with a, a, a good, a handsome number of guys. Um, Alan Gooch, Doug Gatewood, Bill Giovanetti, Tim Ayers, Jeff Boley. Uh, anyway, it, it just uh, we had a core group of guys that have always kind of been together. So, um, and I actually was joking the other day with Jeff Boley, who's in Wisconsin. I said, 
you know those halftime ceremonies or those things that you that when we were younger these old guys limped out there and they waved and like no one cared about while they were going to go get a drink or had to go to the restroom or whatever i said we're those guys now <laughs> so uh, while it may not mean anything to those guys i, I think it does but um it's neat uh it means that i'm old but what is neat on the foundational thing is uh, guys like bill giovanetti and of course alan gooch and mike Stapp and Michael Shaughnessy, we've actually stayed involved in the program for a long time. I mean, uh, I've been Letterman's Club president for countless times. Michael Shaughnessy started, and I've been involved since day one with that, trying to keep the former athletes involved. So um, that core group has been there, but there's been some guys, uh, like the group that I mentioned, that have been in, stayed in the area and have been involved in a huge number of ways, whether it's fundraising or getting additional boosters or season ticket selling things and or golf tournaments. So a, a lot more guys have been involved. A lot of guys went away, and this will be their first time back. So, uh, you know, a lot of guys are fatter and balder than they used to be, and uh, that's always the first thing because guys are so polite, and, you know, the jokes start right away. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of the fellas that I haven't seen for a while. A couple of them have passed away. We're at that stage now when that happens. Um, but uh, my old coach, John Hemmer, is coming back, and I just greatly respected that guy. We've talked several times since then. So um, I'm sure there'll be a handful of guys that I haven't thought about for a while that'll be there. That'll be pretty cool. Um, we've got a little dinner and a little barbecue beforehand, so that, that'll be neat. So, But we're officially those guys that I used to laugh at, at uh, you know, limping and doing the little uh, parade wave up in the stands and stuff, but we're those guys now. Well, I tell you what, though, it is great that they that they are honoring you guys and, uh, and celebrating 40 years of UCF football. Ron, before I let you go, you are a terrific follow on Twitter for people who bleed black and gold. Uh, tell folks where they can follow you. I, I'm sorry, I missed that part you broke up. Yeah, tell folks where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, that's a dangerous little proposition. I'm UCF Ron. On there, I'm uh, um, UCF RJ17. I think it is. Um, yeah, I've got as many people at uh, University of South Florida that I got about half of them that like me, the other half that want to shoot me. But it's uh, it's been <laughs> it's it's been entertaining. And uh, uh, as Charles Barkley said, Twitter's where idiots go to voice their opinions, and I think that's probably where I fit in pretty well. But um, it is kind of neat. And uh, I had a couple health issues. I want to tell you this and. Um, uh, cancer three times, 20 surgeries and all this kind of crap, and I'm totally fine and all that. But the Twitter folks, it's been amazing. Other schools, South Florida, certainly the UCF family, the outpouring of concern and well wishes, been really touching. It, it really has been. It's really cool. So um, as, uh, you know, volatile as Twitter can be, and I, I try to, you know, realize that my kids look at it too, so I try to be as nice as I can. Um, but, uh, it's uh, it's come back to uh, feed my soul a little bit. It's it's been pretty nice and fun, and uh, I'll probably get on after this chat here with you. Hey, and, and so uh, and and you, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it your daughter that goes to South Florida? <laughs> I got one at UCF and one in South Florida, so and, I'm cutting big checks to USF, which is uh, <laughs> it's, it's painful. Hey, Ron, where did you go wrong with with the one daughter who went to South Florida? <laughs> Well, you know, it's, I was trying to figure that out, and um, UCF does not have a dance major, ah. and they do. So um, um, I, I will say that my daughter almost apologetically said, you know, 
bad? Is is it okay that I go there because I know you really hate them? <laughs> and I felt so bad, and I had to try to convince her that it was just this sophomore kind of thing, more joking than anything. And after I convinced her that, then I realized I was lying because I really do hate them. <laughs> because they did everything they could to keep us out of the Big East, and they, I mean, they really did do a lot of damage to us. And I was envious of that program, truly was, because they started off so well with so much money. They started off with more than $10 million, and we started off with $48,000. And both of those numbers are correct. Mm. Um, so they skyrocketed up to the top to a number two rank, and we were wallowing around in our stuff. So, um, uh, as I was trying to call my daughter that it was really okay that she went there, I was like, uh, I've got a lot of ill feelings towards that school. So, uh, <laughs> as elementary and infantile as it is, when hate week comes around, it's pretty sincere for me. Hey, well, you know, sports hate is just a part of uh, being a sports fan, and that's just the way it is sometimes. Ron, thank you so much for your time. Really greatly appreciate it. And we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Keep up the great work. I love your stuff. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, great job by Ron there. And, you know, he had brought up something that uh, kind of came to mind for me, too. He said he was a little concerned about the pit game, which, by the way, I'm actually uh, headed up to the Steel City to catch that one. But, uh, you know, before every game, I always have that, like, five-minute stretch during the week when I'm looking at the opponent, and I kind of go all Lou Holtz and go, I don't know how we're going to beat them. They have the great defense, great offense. I don't know how we're going to stay on the field with them. <laughs> But then I get over it, and, you know, like last night ESPNU was running the uh, Pitt-Penn State game from this past weekend, and I'm looking at both those teams and I'm thinking, God, they can't stay on the field with UCF. So all said and done, I think we'll get a little bit more of what we saw last year uh, when UCF dismantled the Pitt Panthers in a big way by a 45-14 to score. And uh, how about Dylan Gabriel in the Stanford game? Uh just an outstanding performance, throwing dimes, just, uh, you know, he is the guy. You know, whether Josh Heupel wants to name him the starter or not, he's not kidding anybody. He's starting the rest of the season till further notice. So uh, definitely future looking bright with Dylan Gabriel uh, taking the snaps under center. And um, and as uh, Ron also alluded to, Kirk Herbstreit on board and, you know, UCF is a top 10 team. Yeah, I know we're, I'm not, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir for a lot of the audience of this podcast, but the fact that the, you know, they're still ranked 15th is a joke. Is an absolute joke. So that said, it's good for the Knights because we know the 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 the, the polls don't really matter. At this stage, anyway, we know who they want in the college football playoff. But, you know, holding UCF down to keep them out keeps that chip on the shoulder, keeps them revved up and fired up, and allows them to keep, you know, keeping their mindset on going 1 and 0 every week. Well, we thank you as always for listening. Please do subscribe. You can go to my website, jeffallensportsite.com. I've got links to all the uh, podcast venues uh, where my podcast is available to you. So please subscribe if you haven't done so already. And with that, we are done here. 
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at Kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.